So if you are new to hunting or if you're thinking about getting into hunting, you know that you to in order to figure out the rules and regulations to what you're trying to do is usually found through your local DNR, which stands for Department of Natural Resources, or in New York State's case, the DEC, the Department of Environmental Con Conservation. Now, when I first started out in wanting to hunt, um, I found it a bit intimidating and then annoying when it came to getting information in regards to rules and regulations and when it comes to hunting and, and trapping and fishing out here in New York State. Um, if you're experiencing the same thing, I, I can only imagine the frustration that you're going to because I've often said that I feel like figuring out the rules and regs in New York, it's like this website and, and whatnot is designed to do one of two things. First being maybe get a person so frustrated um, in trying to figure this out that they don't want to hunt, trap, or fish. Or two, sort of get them so caught up that they don't, that they may, they think they understand something and whatnot and they really don't and they end up with a hefty fine or God forbid um, doing jail time. You know what I'm saying? Um, and it, it kind of sucks, you know. So if you're if you're dealing with this, if you're brand new to hunting, um, you're gonna figure this out, or you're trying to put somebody on, um, don't get frustrated. You're not the only person out there like that, or have, dealing with trying to figure out all this information because it's it can be overwhelming at times. You know what I'm saying? But there are people out there to help. I mean, do your best when you're on these various websites to make sure you're you're reading everything you can understanding everything to your best of your ability to make sure you do you hunt not only ethically but legally you know what i'm saying if you need to there's so many chat rooms or forums out there um for you to kind of reach out to folks and and get supplemental information but the best piece of advice i could give you if your city or state is anything like mine a hunting and trapping guide is published um, before the start of every hunting year. And towards the back of that guide, the um, game warden, in your area they might be referred to as a game warden, but in New York State they're known as environmental conservation officers. Um, and in New York State, the ECOs for every particular uh, region or county, however you want to refer it to, their phone number is published um, in that guide. So if you're trying to hunt a specific area, a specific town, region, whatever it may be, um, look to see if you can get a phone number to your ECO, your game warden, and let them know what it is you're trying to figure out and... That way you're hearing you're hearing it from that law enforcement officer, you know, what's permitted, what isn't permitted. You know what I'm saying? So uh, in this particular episode, um, I guess and I discussed some of the frustrations of, you know, dealing with some of that jumping through hoops to get permits to hunt, trap and fish, things like that. Um, and hopefully you guys, you know, enjoy the conversation. You guys, if you're 
if you're going through it, you get a, a little bit of relief in knowing you're not the only person going through it. All right. So like I said, if you get the chance, um, make sure you go to your city states hunting and trapping guide see if you can't get information on the local game warden or eco and you know don't hesitate to give them a call if you're confused about something you're not sure about something and get a legitimate answer all right enjoy the show gentlemen welcome to when the hunt calls the only hunting podcast hosted by a middle-aged black guy from new york city i am said black guy your host cliff cadet what's going on everybody my guest today is alex tilney a fellow new yorker who i am uh really excited about having on today because um i've often felt over the last couple of years that i'm jumping through hoops trying to get out into the field to hunt but apparently i'm not the only one so welcome alex how you doing today brother i'm great i'm uh, so happy to be here no, i appreciate that man uh thanks for joining me on my lunch break oh uh, i'm pretty sure you're you're probably out enjoying this beautiful or could be out enjoying this beautiful new york weather we're having to, uh, today yeah, I'm I'm home on my lunch break too, uh, in my in my home office, and uh, glad to have a break. Now, tell everybody exactly where you're from. Yeah, I um, am originally from outside of Hartford, Connecticut, kind of mm-hmm. the suburban rural part of of uh, Central Connecticut. Um, I've been living in uh, New York City since 2002 or three, longer than I've lived anywhere else. Um, and right now I live in Kensington, Brooklyn. So that's um, south of Prospect Park, the biggest park um, in the in the borough of Brooklyn. I didn't know you were from Kensington. That's where I grew up. Yeah. Uh, born and raised. I grew up on Ocean Parkway and 18th Avenue. Yeah, it's crazy. I remember hearing that in an earlier podcast and, and thinking like all the stuff that I pass every day, you've passed a thousand times, you know. Oh, damn. All right. We're, we're definitely going to have to talk oh, after we stop recording. All right. So so you're you're not originally from New York, but you are here now. Um, now, I know you are an avid uh, outdoors person, an avid hunter. Um, is this something you did uh, like growing up out in um, Hartford or something you got into living in the city? Yeah, not at all. So so much like you, I'm a late to the gamer. Um, I. Um, so, so yeah, it was, I guess, around 2013 or 14, um, started getting more interested in like strength training. Um, and so started getting more interested in like, you know, protein and, and then started getting interested in like where my protein was coming from and, and, you know, kind of the, the ethical sides of that and, and wanting to, to know more about, you know, how the beef and, and other stuff I was eating was raised and that led me to start like looking into the farms and stuff that I was buying from. I got together with some friends and, and started buying like, you know, shares of a, of a cow or shares of a pig and stuff like that. And as I got more and more interested in that, I started kind of um, thinking to myself, you know, if I'm going to take responsibility for for the, you know, the death that I cause, um, let me let me really get get more interested in it. And um I remembered that, you know, my, so my um, family lives on a, um, a property that's like 10 acres, so really small property, but it butts up right against a, a bigger protected um, 
you know, several thousand acres that surround uh, a reservoir in, in my part of the state. And that reservoir serves the rest of the valley. And so that's all protected land and filled with deer. And the deer were devouring my parents' landscaping. So like in the early 90s, um, a, uh, an arborist came to the house to take care of uh, a tree branch that had fallen through their living room uh, roof. Um, and he was like, hey, do you ever have anyone come up here to hunt? Um, and they were like, no, we would desperately love someone to, to thin the deer um, up here. And so they started like a, you know, decades long relationship where my family would have these hunters come come to the land. And, you know, at the time I was growing up there, but I left for school and and kind of didn't really even think about it. And so then as I started getting more interested in again, where my food was coming from, like a light bulb went off and I was like, oh my God, these, these guys still come out. Um, and so kind of like right there were, you know, a, a, a group of mentors and I, uh, formed a relationship with one in particular. And so I guess it was 2016 was the first, you know, <laughs> fall day where I sat completely underdressed, um, and shivered in the, in the cold. Um, and since then, <laughs> you know, season after season, it's kind of grown um, in interest. And, and I, you know, as I know you can relate to, has kind of become a, a total obsession. So, so yeah, I was, you know, in my 40s um, when, I, when I started. Um, and, yeah, kind of trying to make up for, for lost time. No, I hear you. I hear you. I'm, I'm curious to know, um, living in Brooklyn, do you still, um, you know, kind of, I, I guess, crowd share, if you will, um, a whole cow? So we, so it's, it's so funny when I first started doing this, you know, I had the classic like tiny New York apartment with a freezer that I could barely fit, you know, the food in that, that was not, you know, that kind of share. Um, and so went on Craigslist, found a, a chest freezer, um, you know, went on the train out to Queens to find this chest freezer that I could afford you know, carried it back on the subway. It was out in Queens where the elevated subway tracks are. So I had to schlep the thing up, yeah. you know, three flights of stairs, get on the subway, Damn. you know, go go back to my apartment. And I actually hid the freezer in the like shared hallway of our building using like a, a an outlet um, that was like the, the landlord's outlet to keep the lights on in the hallway. Um, and so like I shared with one other friend, um, then um, he had a relationship with a farm um, and that that farm actually went out of business. And so when we moved into uh, a new apartment, um, uh, I was able to like buy a bit of a bigger freezer. Um, and now I get like a, a share of a, um, a quarter cow and a half pig um, and uh, some fish stuff as well, direct from, from a, a, a um, a commercial fishing operation in Alaska. Um, and right now I'm being selfish and not sharing any of that with anybody, <laughs> except for when people come over and I cook, you know, huge meals for them. But, you know, always looking for like the more you buy, the cheaper it is. So, so like um, always looking for people to get in on stuff like that. But, you know, oh. the other thing is I would love to expand the amount of, of wild game I'm eating. So, you know, the past couple of years, it, that's meant like a, a deer a year essentially, but it would be great to kind of, you know, expand hunting, not only for the experience of it, but also for the food aspect and maybe be able to like dial back some of that, um, that other food. So yeah, always, always thinking about that stuff. Cool. Cool. 
All right. So I got to ask now, um, come like, well, li- not coming from Brooklyn, but living out in Brooklyn now for as long as you have, has there been any like, um, difficulties, uh, you know, getting out? Like, where do you primarily hunt? I should ask. Yeah. Um, so it's funny. I always think of it kind of in relative terms and I think, mm-hmm. you know, compared to the stuff you've gone through compared to like some of the people we know, um, in common, Brandon Dale and, and some other guys, um, I feel like I've had a complete walk in the park, you know, from my own perspective, it's felt like i had done everything wrong, learned everything, you know, the, like the worst possible way, et cetera. So the, the seasons up until this past season, I would just go up to my family's house in Connecticut. And so, you know, I like researched and, and bought a rifle and stored it at their house, um, you know, with this mentor on that property, you know, I figured out how to, you know, handle, my, not like die of, of fear of heights up in a tree stand. Like, you know, um, there's a, uh, a, a gas line um, that runs through the property on an easement. And so basically it's just a, a huge kind of mode, like track that goes through the woods, which is kind of like perfect edge habitat for, for deer. And so the first couple of years, as I was learning about, you know, tree saddles and, like marksmanship and, you know, um, uh, field dressing and butchering and all that stuff. Um, I would just, you know, go up to my family's house, um, you know, work on their internet connection and try to get in as much time during the, the, um, like landowner rifle season as I could, you know, they actually ended up selling that house in, I guess, 2020. And so, um, I was able to get permissions from the new owner of that property for one year. And then um, he de- his, his kids decided they didn't want hunters on the property. And so this past season in 21, I hunted on the property of um, a family friend. And so it's funny, you know, what I'm really dying to do in kind of the next like phase of getting interested in this is to, you know, hunt public land, be able to like commute from the city in a short amount of time and come back, you know, in, on the same day, not make it a a huge long trip. But, um, you know, in a certain way, I'm almost like, uh, embarrassed that, you know, I'm a member of BHA, uh, but I've never like never hunted on public land. Um, and, you know, driving up to your parents' house and sleeping, uh, in your childhood bedroom to hunt, like that is a pretty cushy, cushy way to go about it compared to, like a lot of people who um, put in a lot more, a lot more effort than that. I I believe that a lot, a lot of hunters would love um, the that particular situation if For it were sure. available available to them. Yeah, but um, but that's um, that's pretty cool. Um, so I've got to say, um, do you? Because you mentioned like a deer a year. Do you ever like? Living in Brooklyn, do you have like mounts or anything like that in your home or anything, anything that if you have guests over your home, that'll point out, oh, this guy's a hunter? Yeah, you know, it's funny. So I'm looking right now, obviously, you know, having this conversation from uh, my my home and looking up at the um, the deer skull, it was we can go into it maybe a little, a little, uh, in more depth, but, um, looking at the first deer that I, um, uh, not the first deer I shot, but the first deer that I, um, ended up eating, um, that, that skull is, is on my bookshelf here. That was a doe. 
Um, and it's funny because everyone in New York lives in a tiny apartment. If you came here, you would know if you knew what to look for, you would know that I'm a hunter because, you know, I've got a yellow jacket bag target on one side of the, the uh, living room and um, my uh, my bow hanging up in the tiny little closet office that I have so that, you know, on breaks from from my day job, I can, you know, commute the whatever it is, 15 feet um, across my living room, you know, get a few arrows um, of practice in and then back. So I think if you knew what to look for, you would know there's a hunter, but if you didn't, it wouldn't necessarily clobber you over the head. I don't have any, you know, huge elk racks uh, mounted uh, in the living room or anything, anything like that. Maybe one day, but, but not yet. Got it. Got it. All right. So can let me ask, cause you just mentioned you have a bow. Do you prefer um, bow hunting or hunting with a firearm? Yeah. So, you know, I've actually never had any experience hunting with a bow. Um, the, the property that I mentioned that my family had, um, was, you know, half an acre over the size limit for rifle hunting in Connecticut. Um, and so, you know, my mentor, uh, hunted there, you know, pretty much exclusively with, um, a rifle and muzzleloader. Um, and so when I was getting into it and there were so many, you know, skills to learn from scratch and so much, I didn't know it seemed like the simpler option to rifle hunt, you know, obviously the, you know, mm -hmm. um, the range is, is, uh, way extended. The accuracy is much bigger. The tracking is, is much less, um, challenging, um, after the shot, um, and all that stuff. And so, um, because I had access to that particular property that kind of dictated that I, that I, um, started rifle hunting and then I went on, rifle hunting since then. I think if I had to do it over though, I would have started bow hunting, uh, from, from scratch because again, we're going to talk about this probably in, in a minute, but you know, possessing a firearm in the five boroughs of New York city is pretty much next door to impossible. And if I had, you know, learned how to use a bow and gotten proficient quicker, um, that would have opened up so much more possibility for me. You know, you obviously, can take your bow from your apartment, from your house in Queens and go turkey hunting. You can go deer hunting, you know, so, so many options. And mm. because I was always like, you know, enough, like I have enough to learn that becoming a proficient archer is kind of one thing, at least for now, too many, like I'll, I'll you know, acquire that skill later on in my hunting, like experience, because I sort of put that off it's only been in the last like year or year and a half that I've started shooting a bow and it, with the hopes of like getting proficient enough to hunt with it. I think the other mistake I made was that I started with a recurve bow. One day, again, I would aspire to like taking game with a, with a recurve, but after like working on it for probably more than a year, I was better, but I wasn't significantly better that I would have the confidence to, you know, make absolutely sure that I could hit the vitals from, you know, 30 yards or less. I just didn't have nearly the skill. And so it's only been, I guess, three or four months that I ended up buying a compound. And, you know, as you know, like you have to practice a ton to get really, really good with it, but it's amazing the accuracy you can get just with the basics and starting out. So in a certain way, I've done it completely backwards from the way that I wish I had done it wish I'd started with compound, gotten proficient there, eventually moved to, to rifle hunting, but 
you know, with with every process, you you know how you would have done it uh, a lot better um, once you've already done it the wrong way. So lots of hindsight there. Got it. Got it. Now, um, we're going to we're going to come back around to the rifle hunting, specifically, you know, trying to do that and being a resident um, in New York City. Um, what I want to touch on is I'm assuming it's your day job, but, um, you, you put me onto a podcast that I listen to regularly now called cows week in review, um, which is hosted by Ryan Calhoun, I believe is it pronounced uh, the last Callahan. Callahan, yeah, Callahan, Callahan, ah, you beat me to it. All right. Ryan Callahan. And he's a part of, you know, the, the group of guys, um, over at meat eater, um, and you are a writer for him. How did how does somebody living in Brooklyn, um, you know, stuff like end up with a gig like that? Yeah. So, um, you know, my like day job to pay the bills is um, I write and edit for business, you know, just just like um, uh, that. That's sort of the bread and butter. Um, but, you know, I am a writer in general and, and a fiction writer. I um, published my first novel in 2019. Um, and so, you know, I had gone to grad school for writing and, um, you know, written this, this book over a period of years. And, um, uh, a friend of mine had read the book and enjoyed it. And she, um, is one of the people who works on like the meat eater books. So, you know, um, obviously that, that organization and, and Steve Ranella have put out, you know, the guide to, um, you know, hunting and fishing and, uh, the survival guide and a bunch of other stuff. And so she, her profession is, you know, ghostwriting and kind of project management around books. Um, so she, um, and I were friends from, from actually living together, you know, not together, but being friends of friends in Brooklyn, she read my book and she was like, Hey, do you know anyone? This, this podcast is looking for, for a writer, do you know anyone who would be interested? And I said, I said to her, I know myself and I would be very interested. Um, so I, so, you know, I did a couple shows essentially like, um, you know, as a trial run and, mm-hmm. um, it was just, so I like in a certain way, I feel like my marketable skill is my ignorance in a certain way. So I think <laughs> what is like, what's the, one of the cool things about um, Cal's show is that, you know, if you are, if you've been hunting since you could walk and you, you know, like eat nothing but wild game, and that is, you know, your lifestyle to the hilt, you'll find a lot of stuff that's interesting in that show and, and really enjoy it. But also if you are just coming into the activity, if you're learning about conservation, if you're learning about, you know, um, uh, habitat and all that stuff, you'll find a lot there on that show too. And so I think what I've hope, you know, what I hope I can do on the show is like take a really complicated topic, like, you know, wild horses and burrows on public land and their management. You know, um, recently we were writing some stuff about, uh, striped bass and the management of striped bass populations in, you know, down up and down the Eastern seaboard and, you know, everything in between, because I am like coming at it to some degree as um, I would say like a well-informed newcomer, I, I hope I can take something that's really complicated, get across the things that are most essential for, you know, someone who's new to this space and add some stuff that will deepen the understanding of people who have been living and breathing this stuff for, for decades. 
And so I think kind of trying to be that go-between between expertise and, and general interest is like what I really love about working on the show. And, you know, it's a challenge, like, as you know, as a, as a person who's producing a, a podcast, like those deadlines come up fast and, and working on that stuff can be a hustle, but it's really, it's really been enjoyable. And, you know, as I, as I mentioned, you know, also a fiction writer and a, and a novelist. And so it's been really fantastic to have kind of a, like, creative outlook a creative outlet that's not it's not about me you know what i mean it's about about like making a really good show making like finding out what ryan callahan is really interested in and finding out more writing really good stuff about that but it's not to kind of like i don't know with promoting a novel it's you're trying to promote yourself and and trying to say you know that you should read my book instead of other people's book and sort of being freed from some of that like ambition to be honest has been another thing that i that i love about working on the show so yeah so that's how it came together and um it's been it's been very challenging but it's been i'm just incredibly grateful to to get to work on that show dang that sounds awesome though um now i guess um what i wanted to know well no not even what i wanted to know what i wanted to bring up so like i said because of you i've been for months now i've been listening to cal's weekend review uh every week religiously i've become a loyal listener and um just last week um i don't know if you had done this before but you stepped out from behind the writing desk to to lend your voice to a segment on there um and what that particular segment did for me was it kind of confirmed i've also i've often theorized that um and again i'm i'm the new guy here but i've often found that our state's, um, you know, governing body when it comes to hunting and trapping and so on seems to be, rather than regulatory, seems to be more, what's what's the word? I, I see it as almost a form of entrapment, uh, either <laughs> a, a cross between entrapment and, the, uh, and it being a, a deterrent. Because I feel yeah. like it gets so confusing that if then a person thinks they've understood something, they go out and do the wrong thing. They end up with a with a fine or you know or anything like that. Or do you know a, a person you know get really new to this goes to let's say the DC website and is having such a hard time navigating it and trying to understand the the state's rules and regs when it comes to hunting and trapping that you're just like forget this. So you had a story that I'm gonna assume is not unique to you, but any New Yorker that wants to to hunt with a firearm. You mind sharing with that with us? Yeah, of course. You know, before I get into my, you know, particular um, you know, the the that particular segment, mm -hmm. I, I just wanna echo that, you know, as as much as I can. And it's hard to tell, like, you know, I I I've heard you tell stories about, you know, having gone to Hunter Hunter Ed and you know, talking to the people there who presumably want to get people out in the field. And like, you know, obviously we hear about R3 all the time everywhere, but, you know, it seemed to you, and, and it sounds completely uh, correct, that they were withholding about the fact that there's public land within, you know, an hour, an hour and a half from New York City that's really great to hunt. Like, were mm -hmm. they trying to deter, you know, city people from from getting out in those places? And, you know, those kinds of questions, I think, 
can come up when you're looking at at DEC or something like that. Like, is it that, you know, it's been a system that was established decades and decades ago, and like, as they try to update it every year, like a correction goes on top of a correction on top of a correction and just becomes like a thicket of, of bureaucracy? Or is it something where, you know, they, they don't want too many people um, finding it too easy? Um, I, yeah, it's hard to say. And, and I feel like this has been such a, you hear about, about this kind of thing across all kinds of, of, you know, areas of hunting, how hard it is even, you know, out West in, in states where they make a huge amount of their revenue based on hunting, the point system and the, you know, uh, like units and, and all that stuff that, that no one has an easy time, uh, just getting out there and doing it versus, you know, other, other pursuits. If you want to go see a baseball game, you go online, you uh, put in your credit card information, you come away with a ticket, you show up at a time, and there you are enjoying the baseball game. And it would just be so fantastic if that kind of simplicity could come in a little bit more with uh, with hunting because the barriers are big enough. Like it's can be culturally really hard. The skills involved are difficult to acquire, especially when you're in a city and it's hard to get the kind of practice and in-person scouting and all that stuff, making those barriers uh, as low as possible, you know, seems like it would be a huge priority. Um, so yeah, so, you know, moving over to my particular um, uh, segment that I did on, on Cal's show, he and I, you know, he and I and the other writer on the show, Jordan Sillers, were, um, you know, just talking over topics that we wanted to cover in the weeks coming up and just kind of shooting the breeze, um, you know, uh, Ryan was like, oh yeah, I saw this particular, you know, uh, model of 410 shotgun. It seemed to fit like a great niche for my girlfriend. You know, I went online and then I was like, oh, you know, I could probably use this myself and, you know, put two in the cart, like checked out, uh, a week later it arrived at the FFL, went in, you know, got a cup of coffee while they were doing the background check and drove home with my, you know, with my new, uh, 410s. Um, and I just sort of started laughing and started telling the story of um, what was involved negotiating bureaucracy to, um, you know, possess a firearm in the five boroughs. And now we're not going from speculation about whether it's just complicated by accident or whether it's an intentional kind of gauntlet to get you to give mm -hmm. up and when it comes to possessing a long gun. Um, and I can't even imagine what it's like for a handgun. Um, there is no doubt about it that they just want to make it so hard that people give up. Um, and so, hey, I real, kind of real like, quick, I don't, I don't, yeah, I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but define long gun for me because I'm not yes. familiar with the term. Totally. Um, and and I'm interested in talking about your experience with with guns as well because I know you know um, you have a lot of like interesting things to say there. So um, I didn't know this term either before I started applying uh, for for the permit. So a handgun, obviously everyone knows, you know, pistol, revolver, et cetera. And mm -hmm. a long gun is rifle, shotgun, um, you know, air rifle, anything that basically you has a stock and you hold with, with two hands. And obviously, okay. you know, in a place like New York, there are, you know, millions of people living right on top of each other. Like it's important not to, you know, have, um, you know, lots of guns everywhere. And the city has obviously had a really horrible history with, with gun violence. Um, and so, um, especially because, uh, you know, um, you, 
you can't take you can't easily take let's say a shotgun on the subway um, to go commit crimes the um, the um, the uh, requirements to to have a long gun are separate and less stringent um, than to have a, a handgun in um, the city of New York and so um, they're they're sort of two separate permitting um, tracks I guess you could say with the New York Police Department mm-hmm um, so, so yeah, let's see. Um, and, and the reason why I wanted to, you know, have a, you know, possess, uh, uh, like, uh, rifles and, and shotguns in the five boroughs is because, you know, since joining BHA and meeting people like you and like Brandon and, you know, a couple of other, um, other guys, you know, started hearing about people living in Manhattan, uh, getting up really early on the weekends and going out and, you know, uh, going duck hunting or going upland bird hunting or whatever. And man, I want to do that. Like it's basically going to be impossible for me ever to learn how to, you know, hunt ducks unless I can get up where I live next to my wife, uh, try not to wake her up, get out of the, you know, apartment at some God awful uh, hour of the day and be able to grab my shotgun from there legally put it in my car, drive to the place where I'm going to go hunting and do that. And so that was a huge motivation to go from storing my my guns up at my uh, family's uh, place to wanting to actually, you know, have them um, in in my apartment. Mm-hmm. So once you once you decided that, what would what were the what was the first step, I guess, in the process? Yeah. So um, the first step was just, you know, doing the research about what like how to even go about that. And, you know, the NYPD um, has, you know, a section on their website that is, you know, permitting for long guns. And, you know, I just started reading the requirements and, um, you know, the the segment on the show is, is six or seven minutes long, but essentially, you know, you have to submit every single document that confirms your identity. Um, you know, you have to get a letter notarized by the person you live with that says that they agree to have the the gun on the premises. You have to get, um, you know, uh, a um, you have to submit a form for who's going to uh, take care of the guns in the in the event of your you know death or incapacitation. Um, you know, I, they ask for any any um, infraction. Um, more serious than a parking ticket, um, you have to upload like a, um, a statement about how that happened and any related court documents. And, you know, I had, I have a dog, I go run, you know, my dog, uh, and there was a park near my old house where you aren't allowed to run dogs, but in New York city, you like, always are in a bit of a gray area when it comes to outdoor space as you know we're talking about right now and so there was a time when i took my dog off leash and let him run around this park i got a ticket for that and i you know um uploaded like a dismissal statement um related to that like just all kinds of stuff once i had submitted all that stuff it took almost a year for them to schedule the fingerprinting appointment You know, I went out to Queens, um, you know, an hour plus uh, subway ride from my house, got the fingerprinting appointment. It's still going to be another four to six months um, where they start conducting the background check, like even looking at any of that documentation um, before before the the permit is approved or denied. And so it's funny because, you know, 
I'm, I'm sort of a lefty. Like I, um, you know, am active in um, politics and, and think that, you know, it, guns are serious business. Like there's no, there's no way, um, you know, we should be cavalier about having guns. But it's funny, like it turned from me being sort of exasperated with all the hoops I had to go through to me kind of being like, all right, I'm going to enjoy this challenge. Like I'm going to, I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to like not give up. I'm going to, you know, call, um, every week and see where it stands and all that stuff. And after a while, it kind of became a piece with, you know, the fun you kind of have to make out of hunting from a city. And, and, you know, I like listening to a lot of the, um, podcasts and articles that you've put out there, you know, stuff like on your lunch break, when there's a, like, um, you know, a warehouse, um, location that has open space, asking that person mm-hmm. if you can set up a target and practice your archery. Like that is the kind of like grit that I feel like defines in certain ways it defines living in New York city. Like New York city is a place that's going to tell you, you cannot do things. And it's mm-hmm. great to live here because it's full of people who say, just watch me and I'm going to do that. But I feel like it's very emblematic Agreed. of hunting too. You know, it's like that mountain is trying to tell you that you're not going to climb it. And I think what what's kind of defines the most exciting thing about uh, hunting is like, I'm going to climb that mountain. I'm going to sit in that tree stand for uh, eight hours at a time. Like I am going to get up when no one else in their right mind would ever get up. And so I think I started looking at this particular process to, to possess a long gun as like a bigger piece of why I'm interested in hunting in general and why I'm interested in hunting from an urban place, which is something that I think not very many people um, decide to do. No, definitely, definitely. Wow. All right. It's um like it's just so crazy. Um, I also gotta ask, um, do you ever in so far in this process of you trying to get this permit for the long gun, um, do you ever encounter any kind of pushback or like I guess for lack of a better term, like any attitude from like any law enforcement officials that you have to deal with or that you've encountered when going to these places? Such a good question. Not at all. I mean, I think like the process is clearly, you know, if if the abstract process itself had a personality, that process would be like, I don't want you to do this. But all the people along the way, they're doing their job. They're, you know, understaffed on purpose. Like, you know, clearly there are, you know, way, way more applications than there are people processing those applications. And, you know, you call up and you talk to, um, you know, officer Thomas or whoever, who's working on the thing and they're polite and you're polite and, and they know, they know that it's kind of a hassle and I've had nothing but good interactions, uh, kind of with the people involved in that process. That's awesome to hear. Definitely. All right. You know what? Um, it's funny cause before even hitting record, um, you had mentioned, uh, I guess you were curious to know something in reference to me. So, you know what, uh, let's flip this a little bit and, and maybe, I think you you may have had a a question about I guess me and firearms. Oh man, I have a million questions for you um, <laughs> in in general. Like, um, uh, but yeah, I mean, like one of a million. You know, I know you're a Marine Corvette, and and something related to that um, experience has made you. I don't know if if hesitant around firearms is the way of saying it, but definitely like 
you know, bow hunting is not only the thing you are super interested in and, you know, really challenged by and, and very excited by, but also kind of gives you a way of doing it while you get to maintain kind of a healthy distance from from firearms. And so I'm interested to hear more about that and the experience in the Marine Corps that that may have informed some of that. And also like, you know, whether bow hunting for deer and turkeys is plenty to keep you interested or whether there are also times when you're like, man, it would be fun to go, you know, hunt ducks with a shotgun or upland birds or, you know, any of that stuff, whether there's an interest in kinds of hunting that can only be done with firearms and whether like you've, you've thought about that, that side of hunting too. So maybe Marines first. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, all right. So in Marine Corps boot camp, um, now this was a long time ago for me. This was back in, in 95. So I don't know if the oh, yeah. training is, is still the same. Yeah. Um, cause I know, uh, some things have changed within the core, but, um, rifle, rifle training, you know, with the M16A2 is, is a two week class or course, if you will, the first week consisting of, of nothing but instruction from from a marksman instructor you know what i'm saying and by instruction i mean um you're already as uh you know a marine corps recruit learning um every piece of information you need to about your rifle um from the weight to the length um to the the number of rounds um a magazine can hold um and uh and various things like that i mean you you learn even way before shooting it you learn how to break it down you learn how to take it apart clean it put it back together and so on and that's like i said way before making it to the rifle range then once you're on the rifle range you're learning about um you know shooting uh you know putting your gun on safety you know keeping your finger off the trigger you know just having a strong um sense of what firearm safety is so coming out of that knowing what i had learned what my fellow recruits had learned um i take fire firearm safety very very seriously so now it's been years since i've since i've held a firearm in any way shape or form like um since i got out the marine corps um and i guess i not i guess i just have honestly trust issues (laughs) <laughs> with with other folks handling firearms around me so yeah. so it's just i guess i don't know people well enough to know how seriously they take firearms um safety that i'm not comfortable just yet going out with anyone and hunting with a shotgun or a rifle uh, or any firearm of any kind now add to that that honestly my first love is is actually archery and bow hunting because as a kid archery was something like i never saw growing up it was uh it was literally a fantasy for me i I grew up reading a lot of greek mythology um i used to love stories of king arthur and the knights of the round table you know saying and that's you see so so for me thoughts of archery was literally i i knew of it just from that you know and that and that's it so now fast forward i'm an adult and now as an adult i can make purchases that i want you know mm-hmm. um within reason of course because i'm married with kids and um and uh now this sort of childhood fantasy is becoming a reality for me in that and that i'm able to hold a bow shoot arrows and make it out into the woods and, and hunt and it's not that i don't 
I don't look down on firearm hunting in any way, shape, or form. To me, it's some might say it's a little bit easier because the um, it can increase the amount of distance that you're allowed to shoot an animal from. You know what I'm saying? Stuff like that. But to me, if you're out there enjoying the out, if you're out there, you know, enjoying the woods, enjoying it, your time, the time spent, then it's almost one in the same. You know, as long as you're doing everything legally and ethically, that's all that matters to me. So yeah. for me is I have no issues with firearms or or people's right to have them. I just have trust issues <laughs> with with whether or not somebody takes firearm safety as serious as I do. That makes complete sense. And, you know, it's funny, man, all, all that safety and, and just kind of like knowing what the hell you're doing, uh, training that like notably that was one thing that was not included at all in my long gun permit process like everything that i know about you know gun safety came from hunter's ed and from my mentor like so you know if i were someone who had you know was interested in possessing a long gun for self-defense in new york city and worried about you know someone breaking into my apartment i would have had exactly zero um training education, any of that stuff around gun safety. And I wish that's something that I put in the, um, in the segment that I did for Cal show, because, mm-hmm. uh, that's a hoop that I would be thrilled to jump through. Like if I think if, many, many people would actually, you know, um, and, um, you know, second amendment stuff, complicated, the kinds of barriers that is, you know, are against the law to put between people and, and possessing firearms, like all that stuff we can debate. But, you know, having people own firearms and especially in the last several years, the the volume of firearms with absolutely no training like that's scary. Um, And, Mm. um, you know, that's a a different topic for for a different podcast. But I can respect respect exactly what your you know, your motivations are. No, thank you. I appreciate that. Now, what was that? The second part uh, to that the second question was. I think you pretty much answered it too, you know, whether or not like you, whether archery hunting for the species you go after is plenty to keep you interested in and, you know, involved or whether there are times where you also would be interested in, you know, sitting in a duck blind or, or going after upland birds, stuff that, that is, is pretty much impossible to do with a bow. I mean, there are people who do it with a bow, but that's a level of skill, um, that's, that's maybe beyond the time you and I, um, ever have to, to put into. Well, I'll tell you right now, I do have interest in duck hunting, but like the thing is with duck hunting, um, again, it's, it's the, my, my lack of trust, I guess, in, in others in terms of firearm safety, because when you're duck hunting and you've got two, three guys in like uh, a duck blind, you know what I'm saying? Side by side, you really have to trust that those other guys are going to respect your particular field, you know, of, of shooting. And that they have to trust me that I'm not going to go over what my window of opportunity is into theirs. Definitely. And even more so with with upland bird hunting where, you know, birds can burst out of wherever and you get caught up in the moment and swivel around. And you got to really, really know what you're doing with that. With that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I am I am interested in duck hunting and I'm also interested in small game like um, squirrels. Yes. And um, and um what else and i guess rabbits and then um i've also got interest in in bow hunting and uh bow hunting bear you know what i'm saying oh, yeah. it's but the crazy thing is like you mentioned living i mean i i'm a family of four 
Um, you know what I'm saying? My wife, my, my two kids, we live in a small two bedroom apartment, you know, in Queens. So the other thing is for me, I'm not going to shoot something and not know where I'm going to put it. Exactly. You know, whether, whether, yeah, whether exactly. it's, whether it's with a rifle or a bow, because what am I going to do with all that meat? You know, I'd like the idea of a bearskin rug is, is dope, but you know, a bearskin rug, if I shoot the right size bear, probably not even going to fit um, in my living room <laughs> floor, you know, and my wife certainly doesn't want that hanging on the side of our wall. Uh, so, um, so stuff like that is, I have to think about, um, not necessarily harvesting an animal just to be able to say I did it is I want the meat. Yeah. I'd, I'd love the hide. I'd love the mount. So, uh, like my wife and I, it's funny, uh, about an hour or two ago, we were on the phone and we were honestly contemplating, um, purchasing, um, a freezer. Yeah. Um, just so we can do better with stocking up on meat, you know, and groceries because, because my kids are starting to eat us out of house and home. So (laughs) it's like, I find I'm going to the grocery store, uh, a lot more often than I, than I should. So we want to kind of limit it down to like one trip a month per se. Um, and then, but in the back of my mind, I'm not going to lie. I was like, yes, a freezer. So when I finally get my first deer, I've got someplace to put the meat, you know? (laughs) Um, so, so that's that's basically it. Yeah. It's the most terrifying. Like once the animal's down, there's always that feeling like, oh shit, now the clock starts and I got to figure out how to get it to a place that's like safe and it won't go bad. I mean, the idea of that food going bad, it's like, it's a sin, you know? And so, yeah, I'm interested, like, I've been meaning to ask you just about exactly this, like, with the logistics of living in New York City, you know, I know you shoot archery in your mother-in-law's driveway, like, is that, like, is that the place where there's enough space to have, like, a freezer, or is it the kind of thing where, you know, I know certain people in New York City, like, basically put it in their coat closet, and all their coats sort of, like, basically sit like half folded on the lid of the freezer like (laughs) i don't know all those all those like details about how people make it work i'm just so fascinated by well right now i've got so many people rooting for me not even within the hunting community but amongst like friends and family when i shoot my first deer (laughs) more than more than likely i'll probably be keeping um the back strap making some deer sauce and then have some deer sauces made by the processor and then the rest of it i'm looking to give away and just share yeah and real and really let people know like hey i did this i was out in the woods i harvested this deer i'd really like to share like one of the first people i want to share deer meat with is um i got a buddy who, li- who also lives in brooklyn and kensington still but him and his wife have a house in millbrook which is about like two two and a half hours outside the city yeah and my very first season they let me hunt their property because it's about mm. six acres. You know what I'm saying? I didn't see any deer, but just to say thank you for even allowing me to to do that because my boy's wife, um, she's she's Chinese, Chinese I want to say, and um, within her belief system, um, I don't know if it's um, her family or even more than that, she had she was a little bit conflicted with allowing me to kind of hunt the property. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Cause they, they considered it kind of bad luck. It's something like, you know, like that she had explained to me and I, and I apologize for not, um, being able to clearly, you know, communicate what, uh, she had told me, Sure. but, but I still just want to say thank you for like that first season, giving me all, although I only hunted three days, they had given me an opportunity and a place to be able to hunt. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so those are the first it. people I'll be sharing with. And I want to do the same thing. I want to, I want to be able to go to my cousin, like, here's, 
you know, here's some venison for you, here's for you, it's for you. And then, and just let them know, like, this is what it really is. I went out there, I hunted it, I killed it, I gutted it. Um, I had somebody, you know, make these, uh, this sausage, make these, grind, uh, grind this venison up. And I just want you to partake. Oh, of course. And not like that generosity with, with that whole, not just the food, but that whole process and that whole experience. And also the fact that like you give that to that person and all of a sudden that makes it really concrete. Like you can do this too. You know, I'm not, I'm not some special person who's like got something different happening. It's just, I got interested in this. I step by step did all this stuff and I like this food and this experience happened and that is accessible to you. That, that is just like, it's right next door if you're willing to just do the same step-by-step stuff. And that is so, that is so exciting. Exactly. That's, that's what I'm amped up about is the potential dialogue that'll come from me, um, you know, sharing my harvest. I love it. All right, man. Listen, I, I, Thank you for for joining me on my lunch break, uh, you know, and and just taking the time to sit and talk with me. Um, I really enjoyed it, man. Um, you know, let let folks know where they can find you on Instagram. Sure, you know, it's funny as I was saying before, like it's nice to like have to work on this this uh, podcast and not mm-hmm. have it be self promotion. My Instagram doesn't have any hunting stuff on it. It's sort of just for like some political stuff I do and the fiction, mm-hmm. fiction, um, you know, the novel that I wrote and, and some other projects. And so all that stuff is at Alex Tilney on Instagram, A-L-E-X-T-I-L-N-E-Y. But at least for now, maybe this will change. There's not a lot of like hunting content. I mean, I would love to talk to you about just social media and hunting, like all the complexities behind that. You, you've had so much interesting stuff to say about that. But yeah, at least for now, it's just politics and and fiction writing over there. Got it. And what's the name of your book? If you don't mind telling us and and maybe like just, uh, I guess, real quick, letting us know what it's about. Yeah, totally. It's the kind of thing that, you know, I really like how distinct like hunting is from this other part of my life. But Mm. it's it's definitely it's not a novel about, you know, going out into the great wilderness and and having an, an exciting you know bear hunt or something like that so the book is called the expectations um it came out in 2019 from little brown um and it's about a uh, a boarding school like so a very uh expensive and powerful boarding school um and kind of how that kind of place is either keeping up with or more commonly like really not uh, keeping step with the modern world and um, a couple students um, and how they kind of contend with with the like um, the way the school interacts with with modernity. Um, one of the kids is from the United Arab Emirates and sort of mm-hmm. how like he is trying to access like uh, this this center of American power. Um, and so so yeah, I, I spent nine years writing it. Um, I'm very proud of it, but also very happy that I'm uh, finished with it and it's out in the world. And so yeah, working on the next novel now. Um, and yeah, I've learned not not make the mistake of predicting when when that one might be finished. So. <laughs> got it, got it. Sounds interesting, and I'm definitely going to be looking into it. I appreciate it. All right, man. You listen. Thank you again. I uh, really appreciate it, ladies and gentlemen. Alex Tilney. Thank Thank you you so much. Great to talk to you. Same here, man. You have a great day. You too. 
All right. Got to thank Alex again for joining me and talking with me. Uh, definitely had a great time speaking with him. Hope you guys had a great time listening in on that conversation. Um, so just so you guys know, in the show notes will be information for you guys to follow Alex on Instagram, follow him on Facebook. I'll even post a link to where you guys can buy his book, um, The Expectations. Um, and that's it. Thanks, to guys. Thank you guys for joining us, listening in. Again, hope you enjoyed it. Um, if you are a first time listener thanks for taking the time out to listen to this particular episode there's plenty of more content plenty of more episodes for you to go back and listen to if you are a subscriber a follower of the podcast appreciate you still you know just sticking with me and listening on the various conversations that i have with some really dope guests all right um you guys tune in next week for another episode um don't forget um, if you guys can head over to the review section of whatever platform you're using to listen to this podcast and hook me up with a dope rating, maybe even a dope review. All right. In the meantime, you guys stay blessed and remember to respect the journey, even when it's not your own. Your own.